Now, is it possible this morning that perhaps you are indeed doing the right thing, but maybe you're actually going about it the wrong way? Or maybe you're doing the right thing, but sometimes we have to ask ourselves, are we doing the right thing, but yet going about the right thing in the right way? See, I think it's important to remember that it's not always just that you do something in life, but a lot of times it's also about how you do it. It's not just doing something, but how are you actually doing the very thing that you're pursuing in life? Certainly that is really true as it pertains to serving the Lord in his spiritual work, in the ministry of the kingdom of God. And our passage this morning, if you can tell by its reading, gives to us lessons for I think what we could say is a healthy perspective towards ministry to train us how to more effectively serve the Lord in his work, which is something as Christians we should all be engaged in in some form. The Bible says that we are all able ministers of the new covenant. Ministry is not just something that missionaries do or evangelists like a Billy Graham does or his pastors do. Ministry is something the Bible says that we are all equipped to do in serving the Lord in various capacities. And in this last portion now of Paul's letter that we're looking at together, he begins from here to the end of the letter to share sort of some insights regarding his personal life. He begins to share insights regarding his ministry and particularly his approach and philosophy of ministry, talking about his perspective of how he went about it. He begins to give here some insight regarding the plans we'll see in the verses of head of his current life and how he was trying to discern the will of God and follow God's leading for his life. We'll talk about that a little more next week. And in it, I think we can observe principles of how Paul operated in ministry and service unto the Lord. And we can learn those principles for our own lives. And we'll be able to learn ways how to follow the Lord's leading in where he's directing us in life and what he is guiding us to do. Now, one observation that I think is extremely evident in our prior verses that we looked at in chapter 15 together that sort of define one element of Paul's ministry is this, if you're a note taker, is that Paul's ministry, one element of it is that it was rooted in prayer. It was rooted in prayer. In just the first 13 verses of this chapter, two times Paul mentions and indicates how he was praying for the believers there in Rome that he was ministering to. And if you just read Paul the Apostle's letters in the New Testament, Ephesians and Colossians, look at Ephesians 1, Colossians 1, Ephesians 3, different places where Paul writes letters to other churches, and you can see that Paul is always indicating how he is praying for believers how he's praying for the churches. And it becomes so evident that Paul was always asking for God to powerfully work in the lives of people that he was seeking to serve and that he was trying to minister to. And that is for this reason, because you and I can serve people faithfully, very faithfully, and you and I can tell people all the right things to do. But that's not enough. Because you can serve really hard and be very faithful, do all the right things, say all the right things, but only God can work in a person's life. Only God, by the power of his spirit, can bring any change, can bring response to the right thing that was said, can bring an effect to the loving and helpful thing that you do. Only God, by the power of his spirit, can actually cause a person to experience God's intention for their life. 
Only God's Spirit can bring change and salvation and transformation. And that happens in direct part a lot of times by our crying out to God in prayer to work in the lives of people, to move in people's lives. Hey, this morning, let me say this. However you are ministering, maybe it's ministering as a parent, and that's an important ministry. It is my favorite ministry. I just told someone in a text the other day. I, somebody said, Happy Father's Day, and I texted my friend back, and I said, Absolutely, my absolute favorite ministry. My favorite ministry. So whether it's ministering as a parent to your kids or serving in a small Bible study or whether it's doing whatever, however you're ministering, look, it, let's be honest, it's very easy to tell people the right things to do. It's easy to explain things. We enjoy counseling people and instructing people. We enjoy serving people and helping people. But let me ask this, how much are we praying for people? How much are we praying in partnership together with the people that we're trying to disciple or serve or minister to? Because again, you can do all the right things and tell them all the right things. But if God doesn't work in their life, those things a lot of times really diminish in their effectiveness. Look how Paul begins now as he goes on in the 14th verse. He says, now I myself am confident, he says, concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness filled, he says, with all knowledge and able to admonish one another. Nevertheless, he says, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you. So another thing we take note of here, again, if you're a note taker, verse 14 and 15, that Paul's ministry also, you could say, was characterized by balance. It was characterized by balance. Here we see one aspect of the balance in Paul's ministry in relation to how he communicated. Because we see him mentioned here in verse 14 and 15 that his communication involved both encouragement and it also involved sort of challenging people in a bold way. First of all, Paul says he encouraged people because look what he says to them there in the 14th verse. He says, I'm confident concerning you, my brethren, that you're, this is encouraging. You are a people full of goodness. You're filled with all knowledge. Paul says, I'm proud to hear that you're able to admonish one another there in the church of Rome. So he commends them for areas they were already doing well in. That's called encouragement. He's commending them for things that they were quite strong in. Paul saying, I'm really proud to see and to hear and to know that you there in Rome, that you're a people, a congregation who are full of goodness. The idea is full of moral and spiritual health. They were a godly group of people. He says, I'm proud to see there that you as well are filled with all knowledge. You have a thorough knowledge of God and his word. And Paul said, on top of that, you're able to admonish one another. Paul didn't plant this church. Paul had not been to this church yet, he's going to tell us in the latter chapters. So what Paul is saying is, you know, I'm really proud to hear that that church in Rome is so spiritually mature that you're all able to admonish one another. In other words, you're able to instruct and counsel and build each other up spiritually. And, you know, those are admirable things for any congregation, a congregation that is godly and spiritual enough that they're able to minister to each other. That not only just a pastor or pastors can minister to people, but the people can minister to other people. And everyone is able to instruct and counsel and build each other up. So Paul encourages them, but then he also mentions in verse 15, 
How he also, and here's the balance, he says, he encourages, but look how he also, he challenged them. And this is the balance to that. Paul says in verse 15, nevertheless, he says, after he encourages brethren, he says, I admit, I have written to you a little more boldly on some points, Paul says. So Paul here indicates, he admits how he boldly confronted the Roman Christians with some of the instruction he gave on some points in this letter. Now, let me say this. Not necessarily was Paul always giving new insights. If anybody gave some new insights and instructions, it was Paul in his New Testament writings. But Paul says, I wasn't always giving new insights, but he indicates here in verse 15 that he was instructing them, he says, with a boldness. The idea of boldness speaks of direct speech or challenging speech. And what was Paul being bold about? He was boldly speaking them in very challenging speech that they would believe what was right and true about sin as we've studied and salvation and how to obtain it and the Spirit's ministry. And he also was speaking to them boldly how they should behave as Christians and how they should conduct themselves in practical Christian living. And he says, verse 15, I did this as reminding you, he says, or the idea is by way of reminding you. Now, I always take note of this when I see the New Testament writers speaking of reminding because oftentimes, again, people don't need new information. They don't need new insights and novel concepts that are stimulating and never heard. People, many a times, I find, simply need to have what they already know reinforced in their life. Again and again and again. People need to hear reiterated what they've already learned spiritually again and again and again in order to help keep them on target or to help bring them back on track if they've strayed off a little bit. Again, how does the Bible portray us as God's people? As sheep. What are sheep known for? They're prone to wander. So therefore, God knows by way of reminder so often that is one of the most helpful forms of instruction that people need to be guided and reminded of what's right to believe and the right way to behave to help bring them back on target, to help get them back on track or to just stay on target by reinforcing the things that they already know that they need to hear again to move in the right direction. Thus, oftentimes, Paul says here, bold, again, not rude. Sometimes people think that bold speech means to be rude and confrontational. And I can, look, not, that's not rude. He's talking about bold speech. The idea here is confident, authoritative communication because God's Spirit is directing what is to be said. Sometimes people think that boldness, and I've heard some people speak at times, supposedly in the name of the Lord, and they think they're being bold. And quite honestly, I'm thinking, you're being rude. You're talking down to these people. These people feel like you're yelling at them. They don't need to be yelled at. They need to be encouraged. If you want to speak authoritatively, that's one thing. But God doesn't want us to browbeat people or to speak to people in a way where we want to seem spiritual, but we're actually crushing their spirit. No, God wants us to just speak boldly, correctly, authoritatively, and to awaken and direct people to the truth. And Paul says that he did both in balance. We see here that he's encouraging them in verse 14 and speaking of challenging them with bold speech in verse 15. And I 
I would say this for all of us this morning. It's important to realize that we have to incorporate a balance of both types of speech when we talk to people. Everybody needs to be encouraged. And however you're ministering, whether again to your children and raising them or in some other capacity, sometimes everybody needs to be encouraged. People need to be encouraged. They need an encouraging word sometimes, but people also at times, they need to be challenged. And they need to be challenged with bold truth and to just speak into their life very directly, very authoritatively, what they need to hear to help them get the right perspective once again or perhaps stay on target or get back on track. And Paul says as he goes on, the reason I do these things, he says, verse 15, here's the reason why I do this. He says, because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be, he says, a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So take notice here. Paul understood his calling. He sought to faithfully fulfill the call of God upon his life in order to present spiritually healthy people as a gift to God. Paul in these verses indicates that he under, understood what his specific calling was to serve the Lord. He says in our verses, look at them. He says, grace has been given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus to the Gentiles. So by the grace of God, Paul knew that he had been selected and then by the grace of God enabled to serve in the capacity and the roles in which he did as a minister of Jesus with the gifting to be a minister of Jesus and Paul, more than that, he knew who he was called to minister to, to the Gentiles predominantly. He knew that that was the focus of where his ministry efforts were to be related and where they were to be directed. And good thing to ask yourself this morning, do you know your calling in service? Do you know what the Lord has gifted you with his grace to do? The Bible says we have all received grace in some measure to serve Jesus in some way. Do you know by the grace of God what God's enabled and gifted you to do? More than that, do you know the place and the role and the position in which God would have you to step in to fulfill, whether it's your place within the church and how to serve in the body of Christ or whether it's your place geographically or maybe even the place or people group that maybe the Lord wants you to target. And to really reach out to that he wants to use you to impact. Paul's ministry efforts were intended to accomplish something. And he speaks of that in the verse 16 there. How he wanted to present the Gentiles as an offering, he says, that might be acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Here's what Paul's describing here. Paul saw the fruit of what he did in his ministry among the Gentile people. Paul saw the spiritual fruit of that like an offering that he was presenting back to God. In, in, in the temple, and the tabernacle, people would often bring their sacrifice to the temple and they would present their offering to God, wanting that offering to be acceptable, wanting that offering to be pleasing to God. And, and Paul here had that mindset spiritually with the Gentile people that he ministered to. Paul's mindset was, Lord, as I serve the Gentile people, as I share the gospel and I minister to them and I try and cultivate spiritual health in their life and help them to grow into maturity, he says, Lord, I, I want to present this and I want to present the Gentile people to you as my offering. 
that it would be acceptable to you that when you look upon the lives of the Gentile people, Paul says, I want the Gentiles to become acceptable to God, that their spiritual condition would be something that God would look at and say, yes, those are a people who are now sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul wanted to present the people he ministered to to God in a way where God would find pleasure and acceptance in that as a ministry offering under the Lord because God saw those people had now been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. They had been saved. And more than that, they were now living set apart for the Lord and the Spirit was at work in them. The point simply is this. Paul's intention was to present and offer people that he had helped to become spiritually healthy. That's what Paul wanted to offer to God. God, I want to offer to you people that I have helped become spiritually healthy. And can I say for every one of us this morning, that's a really great perspective for however God uses you to minister to people or to serve people. If you're a mom this morning, if you're a dad this morning and you have children, look, as you're ministering to them, what a great goal to say, Lord, I want to offer to you really godly kids. Lord, if I fail at every other attempt in ministry, Lord, if I can give to you godly kids that will impact this world, Lord, I pray that that offering would be pleasing to you. And Lord, I offer it to you. What an incredible thing. Lord, I want to present to you these three people that I minister to or this group that I serve or whatever it is that we do. Hey, to ask ourselves, is the goal, is the real intention above all else to just present spiritually healthy people to God? Is what you're doing and however God allows you to serve contributing towards getting people saved and living set apart for Jesus? and developing into spiritual maturity or is it some other agenda is it just trying to be a a social director to be a fun person that everybody likes because they're able to direct social activity or is it to resolve social problems paul's motto for ministry comes from colossians 128 in fact it's on our bulletin he says him we preach that's jesus we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect that is mature in christ paul says this is my motto boil it down it's this he says him we preach we preach jesus we just present jesus to people and we warn and admonish and counsel and teach people so that we can present them back here god that they're mature in christ that's all we can offer you god hopefully we've we've pointed them to you and we've presented them to you in a more spiritually mature manner paul goes on verse 17 to say therefore i have reason to glory in christ jesus in the things he says which pertain to god so because paul's approach of ministry somewhat i believe reflected jesus's approach to ministry yielding spiritually fruitful men and women of god therefore Paul found that he had reason, he says, to glory in Christ. In other words, something to celebrate because Christ was working in their lives. So Paul says here, since what happened in Christ, working in their life and and moving in their life is something that is now becoming fruitful towards the things that pertain to God. He says, now I have a reason to actually glory in something. I like this. Paul was not interested in being able to boast or brag about what he performed. He longed for Jesus to be glorified in people's lives. He says that in the things pertaining to God. Well, what's that? Things like evangelism, church life, 
prayer and Bible teaching and, and ministry and worship. He says that Christ is working in people's lives in such a way where he is the reason to glory in. And I love this humble attitude and perspective that's evident in Paul's life. And it, it becomes more obvious in the next verse as he starts to direct all the attention and all the credit over to the Lord and away from himself. Look how he goes on. He says, verse 18, for I will not dare, he says, to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. So Paul declares in verse 18 here how he reverently turned down any opportunity to take credit for spiritual fruit in ministry. I think the reason is he recognized that it was all Jesus working through a human vessel. But that's how ministry happens. Paul realized all the wonderful things and a lot of wonderful things happened through Paul the Apostle's life and ministry. But Paul realized all the wonderful things that happened in his ministry labors. He says, verse 18 there, look at it, were a direct result of what Christ had accomplished through him what jesus had facilitated through his life paul would not boast in his own person or his own ministry accomplishments and here's why as far as he was concerned he accomplished nothing absolutely nothing paul understood the fact that it was all jesus working so he strongly deferred credit from ever being given to him for accomplishing things that unfolded through his personal ministry. Rather, he acknowledged that he was just what, does he say here, a yielded vessel, an available instrument through which Jesus was able to work through to accomplish things. Look, there's nothing wrong, nothing wrong to celebrate and to boast in what the Lord is doing. But there is something grossly wrong when a person who serves in the Lord's work allows themselves to become the object that's boasted in or admired because of what the Lord's doing. Do you see what Paul says here? He says, I dare not speak of anything that has to do with what I've done. I catch that Paul's intention here is he's saying this, how dare I be so brazen or foolish to ever think it's about me or to indicate to those I minister to, it's about me. And I'll tell you something, we have to be honest, tragically, that is a big temptation for all of us as we serve the Lord. Because our flesh loves applause, our flesh loves attention, we'll gladly take a bow for God, we'll gladly take applause for God. Our flesh loves this. So it is a very difficult challenge, but yet we must keep a healthy perspective and Paul demonstrates it here in this 18th verse, realizing and remembering he was just an instrument of Jesus. Just an instrument. And an instrument, would you agree, can do nothing on its own. Anybody in this room here this morning ever have surgery before in any capacity? Okay, afterwards, did you ask for a personal appointment to thank the scalpel? Or the laparoscopic equipment that they use? Oh, can I just see that scalpel? That scalpel did such a fine job slicing me with precision. No, you thank the surgeon. You don't thank the tool. You thank the person who used the tool. If you see a beautiful painting, you don't say, wow, that is a talented paintbrush. The paintbrush who did that, wow, it's incredible. If you hear something that's beautiful in the way that someone sings, you'll say, that is a really good mic. 
That microphone's incredible. No, it's the person who sings through the microphone. Again, these are instruments, they're tools. A tool and instrument is not deserving any glory or praise. A tool or instrument is only effective if the skill or the power of the master or the workman behind it uses it effectively. So therefore, a tour instrument has no reason to receive any glory or credit or praise. And when we serve in the Lord's work, the Bible teaches we're just tools that Jesus uses. We're just instruments whereby on this earthly level, he works through us to reach other people on this earth as an instrument. Paul says, Christ accomplished things through me in word and deed as an instrument, which Paul's saying this. Jesus wanted to say things. And he said, I sensed at times that Jesus wanted to say things to people. And I just let Jesus use me to speak what he wanted to say to people. And Jesus wanted to serve people and to help people and care for people. And I let Jesus use my body to be his hands and his feet, to go where he would and to touch people and to help people. Boy, we have to remember it is not us who can accomplish anything. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And see, when we remember that, that mentality helps us retain humility and service and it causes us to give glory and credit and praise to the Lord where it belongs. Now, on the other side of it, let me say this in regards to this. We also need to realize, as Paul says these things here, that if we present ourselves to the Lord and if we yield to the Lord, then we can be confident that he can accomplish things through our lives. Yes, we don't want to take the credit or glory, but let's also not have a pseudo-humility and never step out to let the Lord work through our lives. The Lord wants to work through all of your lives. He wants to use your life. And so therefore, that should give us in that humility also faith to offer ourselves for the Lord's work and say, here am I, Lord. Send me. Use me. Lord, there's nothing different or special about Paul the Apostle or anyone else and you worked through his life. So Lord, I'll step out in faith in this area to serve in some form of ministry, trusting that Jesus can accomplish things through you, that he can work through your life to serve in various capacities in his kingdom work. 2 Timothy 2, Paul said that we can be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master. That's what our goal should be, humbly, but yet faith and confidence saying, Lord, but I believe that you can work through me. Lord, would you work through me? Work through my life and minister to people. Notice Paul also indicates how his ministry happened or how Jesus worked through him. He indicates there in verse 18, in the end of it, that Jesus worked through him in word and in deed. In word and in deed, which indicates how Paul was speaking the truth in word, but indeed he was also living out the truth, showing people how to live out those truths. In word and deed means that it involves sharing with people instruction and counsel, but it also meant serving people in deeds of love as well. And again, this is balance here because a lot of people like to speak for the Lord, but sometimes people who like to speak for the Lord aren't willing to serve the Lord. Everybody loves to speak. I got something to say. You want to hear me? Nobody likes to say, hey, can I clean toilets? Can I dump trash cans? Can I fold or hand out bulletins? Can I go wipe babies' butts in the nursery? Can I? See, we love to speak for the Lord. But are we also willing, not just in word, but also indeed to serve the Lord? Because see, there's a balance in ministry. 
And oftentimes people don't really care how much we know until they know how much we care. And the way we show people we care is, is indeed. And Paul realized that ministry is both speaking and word truth, but it also involved caring for people and serving people and doing practical acts of Christian love and ministry to be there for people, to just help people out. There's the balance of this. We see the same thing in Jesus' life portrayed. And as Paul did this, look at the end of verse 18, this resulted in word and deed in making the Gentile people he served obedient. Obedient to what? The gospel message? People were repenting of sin and they were accepting Christ and faith and obedience and getting saved. And more than that, people were beginning to live faithful lives obediently serving Jesus. And it was having that beautiful result and effect. The point Paul was trying to indicate, I think, in these verses, again, is that the focus of ministry should be, must be, Christ-centered. It should be Christ-centered, exalting Christ, presenting Jesus to people, never promoting ourselves to people, never pointing to ourselves as somehow the hero of the hour. It should be pointing people to Jesus for what they need, realizing, look, I, I, I can't help you, but I know Jesus can help you. And taking people at times and just putting their hand back into the hand of Jesus or finding someone who, yeah, maybe their life is a shipwreck. Maybe it's a catastrophe, just like many of ours was. And realizing, I can't be your Savior. I can't fix all your problems. But I can point you to the Savior. And I can put your hand in His. And see, when we do that, the end result is we then begin to make disciples who are obedient to Christ, like the Gentiles became obedient to Jesus. We help people become obedient to Christ and boy, there is no more beautiful thing you can offer to God than to help people become obedient servants of Jesus. To what a wonderful gift to be able to offer to our Lord, realizing true ministry again is about what Christ accomplishes through a human tool. So Jesus deserves in that the glory, the credit, and the praise for what happens. So Jesus Christ, he's accomplishing things through Paul's life. He says in word and in deed, look how verse 19 goes on. Paul says in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the spirit of God. Again, if you do a study of the book of Acts, it records Paul's missionary work and his church planning efforts. And you see there very clearly, it reveals that through Paul's life, not only was the gospel being preached, not only were people being taught the word of God, but also there were indeed mighty and miraculous signs and wonders happening through Paul's ministry. The emphasis Paul is pointing to here, I think, though, is not so much that signs and wonders did happen periodically, but how they came about and how all of his ministry came about, all the fruitful results of it as a missionary, as a church planner, a pastor, a servant of the Lord, a Bible teacher, someone who God used miracles. Paul's trying to say, look, all that was happening, look at it, verse 19, by the power of the Spirit of God. That's what Paul wants to draw attention to. What happened to me as Christ worked through me in mighty signs, wonders, everything that happened, Paul says, please understand, it all was happening by the power of the Spirit of God. Whether it was the message Paul preached or whether it was the ministry he performed, or even the very miracles themselves, Paul says, please, no, it was all by the power of the Spirit of God. 
I would encourage you, write into your notes 1 Corinthians 2, verses 3 to 5, because there Paul indicates to the Corinthians how when he came to them, he says, look, when I came to you, I wasn't a real eloquent speaker. And it wasn't that I had such wise and persuasive words that I was just coming off in such a polished, charismatic presentation that you couldn't help but to to embrace the wonderful things I was saying. Paul says, no, but it was the demonstration of the spirit and power working through my life. Paul understood, look, I may not be the most refined communicator, but I also understand that if the power of God's anointing by the spirit of God is upon what I say, that people's hearts will be stirred. They'll experience the power of God speaking to them in a personal way. And Paul describes that to that Corinthian church. The point of Paul's ministry, he wants us to understand, it was conducted under spiritual anointing, under the anointing of the Spirit of God's power. Paul says this in Colossians 1, verse 29. He says, to this end I labor, but listen to what he says, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Jesus indicated to all the disciples, and you and I are included in that, that need of the power of the Spirit of God. Jesus said this in Luke 24, that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in Jesus' name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And he said, and you are witnesses of these things. Listen to the words of our Lord. Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry or wait the ideas in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Jesus gives them their ministry calling. He commissions them. He tells them how to serve and what to do. But he says, but listen, before you go, wait until you have been endued with power from on high. Jesus is trying to say, look, you can do all the right dynamics, but if you do not have the dynamic of the power of the Spirit of God upon your life, Jesus is trying to tell the disciples, it's all going to fall flat. It won't have the impact. It won't have the effect of divine ministry that's intended to take place. God told a very discouraged servant in the, God, in the prophecy of Zechariah, his name was Zerubbabel, who was trying to rebuild the Lord's temple, and he was extremely discouraged in the process. And he was wrestling and struggling through what he was doing, and it's there in Zechariah 4, 6, that the word of the Lord comes to Zerubbabel and says to him these words, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. In other words, Zerubbabel, and yes, he had a friend named Barney. Everybody thinks that when they hear that word, Barney, rubble, and all that kind of stuff. So just get your mind off of that. Come back with me here. He was discouraged, but he was doing all the right things. And yet God said to him, it's not by your might. It's not by all your effort and power. It's not try harder. He says it must be by the power of the Spirit of the Lord. It's by the power of the Spirit of the Lord. It is critical, ladies and gentlemen, whatever ministry we undertake, and there are lots of ways that we can all serve the Lord that all matter just as much to God. If I want to be a parent, I want to be a Spirit-anointed parent. And I, with the Spirit's power and anointing, want to love and cultivate and teach my children and train them to be godly kids. Effectively. If I'm going to serve people, or if I'm going to share the gospel, I want to serve the people and share the gospel in the power of the Spirit of God. So it's not just information, 
but I'm imparting with the power of the Spirit's dynamic eternal truths into the soul of a human being that needs to respond to Jesus. So whether it's teaching the Bible or leading music or ministering to kids or serving at a, a, a doorway, handing out bulletins, I want to do that in the power of the Spirit of God. Whatever way that we serve, so important that we realize the necessity of this. And I would say this for your own thought and further pursuit of that topic. Write down Luke chapter 4, read verses 14 to 22, and you'll see that even our Lord Jesus, in his earthly ministry, in his humanity, went into the wilderness where he was prepared for ministry, and it says this, and then he returned in the power of the Spirit. And in the power of the Spirit, he then entered into his public ministry and it had incredible effect as we know our Lord's ministry did. The power of God's Spirit is critical. It's essential. And it's essential, I think, for any genuine and, listen, lasting result when we minister to people. Jesus said, I want you to be fruitful, but I want to see fruit that remains. Lasting, resulting fruit. Hey, perhaps this morning you're serving Jesus in some way. Maybe you are serving the Lord in some way or capacity and you're faithfully performing that ministry. Again, maybe as a parent, maybe you're trying to evangelize your friends and share the gospel. Praise the Lord. That's great. Maybe you're teaching the Bible in some capacity. Maybe you're serving in some ministry role, whatever it may be. And maybe all of the practices and methods of how and what we're doing are accurate. Maybe all the methodology is correct. But the question becomes this. Are we doing such by the power of the Spirit of God? Good methods are important, but they are deficient if there is no spiritual anointing and dynamic upon what is taking place. Have you this morning been spiritually empowered for the ministry that you're serving in? And if not, or if you're not sure, I would just say, what a great occasion to sincerely, as we close the worship service this morning, to just pause and to pray, Lord, would you endue me with power from on high? Would you fill me? Would you baptize me with your spirit so that I can have an effect, so that I can go forth and be effective and dynamic in the greatest extent? Paul goes on in verse 19 to say that he did these things so that from Jerusalem roundabout to Illyricum, he says, I fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I've made it my aim, he says, to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. So Paul's philosophy of ministry, notice, it also involved, I think you could say fairly, a pure or a proper motivation. I think that's what he's getting to in these verses here. He describes in verse 19 the geographic extent of his ministry, how his missionary and church planning efforts, he says, verse 19, were from Jerusalem, which is in the far southeast, all the way in a, cir a, a, a circular route up to Illyricum, which is in the far northwest. Paul's describing his missionary endeavors, this expansive territory of spreading the gospel and planting churches. That's a span of some 1,400 miles. Keep in mind, without Amtrak, without automobiles, without any of those things, airlines, Paul pioneered the spread of the gospel in the European territory. It was Paul that pioneered and planted churches and spread the gospel throughout the area of Europe. He said, fully preaching the gospel. He said, I fully preached the gospel of Christ. Now, what does he mean by that? fully preach the gospel of Christ. Well, perhaps two things. Maybe he's referring to the fact that he preached the full gospel. 
That is that he thoroughly conveyed fully the message of the gospel. He wasn't afraid to mention sin and hell and the sinless life of Christ and the sacrificial death and redemption and the return of Christ. But he was, and that you have to be saved by faith and by repenting of sin and accepting Christ. Paul preached the full gospel or it could indicate that he's describing how he fully saturated those territories in a strategic way, reaching all different types of people, spreading the gospel thoroughly. But he describes his main goal in verse 20 there of ministry where he says, I've made it my aim to preach the gospel. Paul's aim, the thing that he was shooting for, the thing that he was targeting, all his efforts and labors towards, what was it? It simply was this, proclaiming the life, the person the work of Jesus Christ. That was the aim for Paul. The thing that he was targeting was to present Jesus to people. How simple, yet how utterly spiritual and incredibly wise this man was. I so appreciate that Paul's aim was to announce, acknowledge, exalt the person of Jesus and to connect people with Jesus because he knew that was the deepest need for man to experience salvation and the lordship of Christ in their life. I like this because it reminds us this morning, Paul's aim was not to preach politics. Paul's aim was not to preach psychological ideas or programs of recovery. Paul's aim was not to establish a successful social club and really happening organization that hopefully lots of people will join because it meets all the desires of people's flesh. Nor was Paul's goal to establish his own little ministry fan club where everybody would come and watch Paul like a little spiritual pop idol perform his shows for people. Paul's aim was to preach Christ, to present Jesus to people, to point Jesus to people. His aim, Paul said in the book of Corinthians, was he says, I determined not to know anything except Jesus Christ and him crucified and can I say this morning that's a really great aim for ministry that's a great aim for any form or capacity of ministry honestly I think there's no other good reason or basis to do any ministry if that's not the goal if that's not the aim it's not true ministry it's just a strategy of man or a religious business tactic if we're serving in some role, it's good, I think, sometimes even to just step back from what we're doing to say, what's really my motivation for doing this? Well, I mean, wh what am I really aiming at? And do I have a, a pure motive for why I'm serving this way? Is my motivation correct? I think it's good to search ourselves on occasion. Paul speaks of his motive and what his goal was more, where he says in verse 20, I made it my aim to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, he says, but as it's written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see. And those who have not heard, Paul says, they shall understand. So notice, the guideline for Paul the Apostle's preaching and missions activity, he shares here in verse 20, Paul's personal policy was to go to untouched areas with the gospel. Areas that had not yet been reached as an evangelist and a missionary, Paul wanted to go to unreached regions, further indicating, I think, as I said, a really pure motive for ministry this guy had. That he wanted to go to unreached areas, pioneer new works where need existed. And I think in some extent, that is a great model for all of us still to emulate. Maybe we're not going to go pioneer missionary works and church plants in foreign nations around the world 
But perhaps it's a matter of just seeing needs that aren't being met and pursuing those areas for ministry or recognizing maybe, uh, whether it be, again, geographically or maybe even within a local church. Hey, where is their need that no one else is addressing? Or maybe recognizing and finding groups that no one else is reaching out to yet and saying, hey, that's the group then. No one else is reaching out to them. I ought to reach out to them. We're looking for areas of ministry where there's lack and pursuing those areas. And especially, and some of us may, if we undertake or pioneer a new ministry, I think whenever we undertake or pioneer a new ministry, our goal should always be to make sure, are we offering something new because uh, perhaps uh, that's something unique that somebody can't get somewhere else? Because if it's already available, rather than partnering and supporting with what someone's doing and supporting that, but we feel we need to offer a new thing, I think sometimes we have to be careful. Is, is there maybe potentially a motivation that's off in that? Well, why are we doing that? I think if we pioneer a new work or offer some new opportunity for people in the Lord, it should be because that area is not being addressed yet. I think that's often a good searching way in our heart's ministry. And here's why. Because, again, ministry and Christian service is is not business. Okay, so we're not trying to offer competition with a restaurant across the street or so on or so forth so that we give customers more options. Look, sometimes we do that as Christians and we just create confusion for sheep. Because they run over here, we want to recognize, hey, how can we collectively rally together and partner and serve in a way where we're helping people and furthering the works that God are doing in a way? Now, let me just say this. Keep in mind, Paul's discussing pioneer new works for God, not participating in existing work. And we cannot say that it's always wrong to build on someone else's foundation because at times that's a part of God's process in Christian work. Paul himself said in 1 Corinthians 3 that he planted, Apollos watered, and God was causing the growth. In that instance, Apollos, uh, or Paul planted the church, and then Apollos came in and took over the church and built further on what Paul started, and Paul went on to other works. And sometimes it is in accordance with God's will that we would plant or establish a foundation and others come along and then build on that foundation to take it forward. Maybe one person evangelizes and leads someone to Christ and then somebody else disciples them. Or maybe somebody plants a church and then afterwards move on and somebody else comes in and takes over the church and builds on that foundation and goes forward. The core issue, bottom line, motivation. What's the motivation I think Paul's getting at for why we do what we do? Because that's what matters to the Lord. And notice that Paul obtained his philosophy of ministry, you can see from verse 21, from a biblical basis. He quotes there in verse 21, Isaiah 52, 15, as the establishment of why he operated the way that he did. He saw that God prophetically wanted to reach the Gentiles and he saw in the Bible that was God's desire. So what does Paul do? He says, oh, that's God's desire. I'm going to get on board with God's program. And he uses the Bible as his basis for his philosophy of ministry. Can I just say this morning, that's a really great way to get a philosophy for ministry. Use the scriptures for your vision and direction for how and why and the way in which you minister. Don't use business success practices and seminars and corporate planning ideas. No, use the Bible. Use the Bible for your ministry 
operations and ways of service as you develop those philosophies. Let me leave you with this thought this morning. What are you aiming at? Paul had an aim in his life. He had an aim in his life. He says here in 2 Corinthians 5 that his aim was to do two things. To please the Lord and to help people spiritually. That's a great aim. This morning, what is your aim? Do you have one? Because the aim of your life will direct how you make your decisions, what plans you pursue, what paths you pursue. Ask the Lord, Lord, give me an aim for my life. Give me something to aim at so that I can be on target and let that influence everything else in your life.